0: first time I met Bobby Harrington, he and I both had hair. We, we, met, we met about a year ago. Um, I, I think it was about 1989 or something like that. And we, I was in Victoria, and we had Bobby come out and do some things for us, and I got to know him from there, and, and we've had a chance to share in some things since then. And I'm really grateful that he has a chance to be with us this morning. He and Cindy certainly mean a great deal to this church. Not only do they have family here, but they have family here. And it's been that way for a long, long time. He served here as the preaching minister from 1987 through 1994. Uh, The church grew and flourished during his time here. Those were good years for the church. And we're grateful that Bobby can be with us this morning. I ask him specifically to stay with our theme today. And so we are in the middle of this theme on connecting And talking about what it means to to really be connected to God uh, in a close, intimate relationship. And so he is talking this morning about the fact that the old is gone and the new has come. And as this new person comes, as God does something in making us new, we have a chance to have special relationship with Him for sure. If you want to come up here, I'm going to lead us in prayer and ask God to be with you. Okay? And i will get the podium up there for you, too. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful this morning that Bobby can be with us. And we pray your richest blessings on him as he serves and uh, blesses us in this way. We pray, God, that as he speaks, that it's actually you who speaks through him. And we pray these things through Jesus. Amen.
1: Amen. Uh, I'm really grateful to Kelly. Um, And I I want you guys to know... um, that there 's you already know there 's a lot of special things about Kelly, but one of the the really cool things is to see somebody who's really trying to uh, live a life where it 's about uh, being a disciple who makes disciples and uh, I hope you all will really follow Kelly in his lead as he tries to lead the church to to follow in that um, It was interesting because um, i haven 't been here for a while, and I thought you know i 'm going to check out the church the way most visitors check out a church these days, and that's by going to the website. So I went to the website. Okay, I'm going to check out that faith statement. So I checked out the faith statement, and I thought to myself, that is a really good faith statement. You guys did a really good job, and all of a sudden I realized, I know that there were elders and all that, but Kelly's hand uh, was in that, and I'm just so appreciative of the faithfulness and the beliefs of uh, this church. Uh, several people have asked me about, um, I live in Nashville now, I grew up in Calgary, I'm claiming my birthright, I was born at the Holy Cross Hospital, and uh, lived here till I was uh, 36. I left here 25 years ago to live in Nashville, and uh, you know, uh, the, which hockey team I cheer for is a mystery, whether it's uh, Nashville or the Flames, although I can quote one of your ma- members who's in the auditorium this morning, who told me that if it comes to the playoffs and it's the Predators and the Flames, he hates to admit it, but the Predators will probably win because of their defense. So, uh, I won't name him Brian Taylor. (laughs) So, uh, uh, super pleased to be able to share the theme uh, of connecting. Uh, I, I, personally believe that underlying this text uh, are some realities that uh, I want to talk about that I think actually for the future of, uh, of all of us who seek to be disciples of Jesus in a culture that increasingly believes differently than what the Bible teaches for disciples, that we need a power source, we need a connection that's super strong, uh, or we will follow the path of Europe. Uh, Countries like Britain, where less than 5% attend church, and less than 50% claim to be Christian in Britain. Uh, And in some ways, uh, the rest of Europe, uh, like in Italy, uh, less than 2% of people would attend church regularly, and they're all gray hairs. Uh, it is happening, the same uh, factors in our culture are happening in the United States, just in terms of describing a mega picture on things, uh, but at sort of on a micro level, each of us as disciples of Jesus uh, really will benefit from understanding the underlying teaching of Romans chapter 6. Now, let me give you a little bit of background, uh, and we have this picture of Jesus up here, I'm probably going to walk around because I'll be more comfortable walking around. And uh, by the way, when I was here before, we would never have to worry about instrumental music and all these mics and all that. I'm just saying. (laughs) But I think it's a good change. Really grateful. Uh, This is weird. Here. There. I'm just going to do this, okay? Because that's better for me. So here's the background in Romans chapter 6 we're about to look at. I know your outline. You guys have the outlines? Did we pass out the outlines? I know the outlines say Romans chapter 8. And uh, it doesn't say, uh, it says Romans 8, but it's really Romans 6. So Kelly Carter and I talked about it this morning. How can we explain the conversion? And, and I, we realized that it's about the conversion rate coming from the U.S. where I created that outline. And uh, if you take six U.S. dollars, it's probably worth eight Canadian dollars, right? So every time you're reading Romans 8, just think 6, okay? And uh, that'll help you to connect with uh, what's in the outline. So uh, I want to walk you through uh, everybody's story in this room if you make a decision, if you've made the decision to trust and follow Jesus. So what is the story? Well, here's the story. Um, Romans chapter 6, in the early part... Uh, describes the time when you were baptized into Christ. And uh, as we talked about in communion, it was a moment of great grace. And this picture kind of describes the Messiah Jesus reaching down to you and to me in the water, and he's rescuing us says in the early part of Romans 6, we died with Christ, and now we're going to talk about living with Him. It means that we uh, died into the benefits of His death on the cross, but at the same time, we also committed that we're going to die to our sinful, selfish ways. Amen? And uh, I wanted to share with you a picture, but before I do... When I was growing up here in Calgary, my dad had a trucking company. By the way, I'm here because my dad, uh, we came up for his birthday. He's in the back row there. He's going to turn 85 on Tuesday. He is, catch this, the oldest class one truck driver in the province of Alberta. That man right there. So when we were growing up, my dad was running his trekking company. Uh, when I was 18, there was a guy that worked for my dad, and he sold me my first car. It was a 1972 um, Satellite Sebring. An old car, I know. It was 1976, but it was a 72 car. And he really negotiated with me. And then two years after that, I became a follower of Jesus, and he was a friend of mine by then because he worked with my dad, and his name was Gunter Janner. And uh, when I became a follower of Jesus, because of uh, my French professor at the University of Calgary, I tried to tell Gunter about Jesus. And he was very kind and polite and would listen to me and then totally dismiss everything that I said. And this went on, catch this, this went on for 40 years. And then last June, because uh, we had had a discussion and I followed up with a phone call. My dad and I sat down with Gunter in the library here. And about 10 o'clock at night, we baptized him into Christ. And he's sitting at the back right beside my dad. And I love him dearly. And I want to start with the story of Gunter. Because even though he was baptized at 77, he was made new. I was baptized when I was 20, and I was made new. Gunter was baptized at 77, and he was made new. And the whole concept in the Bible, if I can get this clicker to work, is that the, uh, behind Romans 6 is the old has gone and the new has come. So I'd like to talk to you about that. And uh, I'm talking about our lives, you and me, and the realities that we experience with what the Bible says. Now, as the text says, let's start it off here, the the text says Jesus makes people new. Now, you read that and that can sound like religious words, but it's really true and I want want us to walk away today uh, and every one of us who's a disciple of Jesus to say to ourselves, I really am made new. I've been made new, my life has been changed, even if it doesn't feel like it. In fact, what I want to argue is that God has made us new, and even though it doesn't feel like it, we need to live into that reality. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 describes it succinctly, right? It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new has come. Now, when it says we're a new creation, what it means is literally uh, all of the sins in our lives, uh, our alienation from God, the domination by the demons and Satan, has uh, been potentially broken and, in fact, broken, although we may need to claim it. So we have been forgiven. God has placed His Holy Spirit within us. In the Bible, the thing that delineates somebody who's a true disciple from somebody who's not is the indwelling presence of God through His Holy Spirit. So we've been made new, we're forgiven. We have the indwelling Spirit of God within us. And God, by His Spirit, wants to guide us into living an entirely new life. So our job is to learn how to connect with God to live this new life representing the new creation that we are. It's the reality for you, and it's the reality for me. Now, catch this. We have to learn to overcome our sinful ways. Here you are. We're here this morning. I'm talking about you, and I'm talking about me. And uh, we have a challenge. And the challenge is... We all have sinful ways. I've got them. You've got them. We all got them. Uh, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We have this tendency that we inherited from Adam that we gravitate to sin in thought, word, and deed. Do you you realize that? Do you agree with that? You can say amen. (laughs) Amen. We Canadians, we're kind of reserved, aren't we? So let me, let me describe what it's like. Like, let's talk about reality, okay? So you're growing up, and you think, as a child, you think, when I, when I become grown, I'll be a good person. And you realize, you know, my parents, they have faults. I don't want to be like my parents, okay? And then all of a sudden, you grow, and you realize, man, I got problems. I got problems. You got problems. We all got problems. But then you have children, and you think, well, my kids are special. My, I'm going to teach my kids the ways of God, and my kids will be special, Right? wrong. Your kids are not special. My kids are grown adults now. My wife and I have to pray for our kids because we see their faults just like we see our faults, just like we see our parents' faults, just like we see the faults in everybody that we get to know closely. We all have problems. Now, some of us have uh, besetting sins or sin patterns that are different. My struggles are different than your struggles. Your struggles are different than my struggles, but I need to overcome them as a new creation. So Romans 5 verse 7 says, uh, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. You say, well, what's he talking about? It's both um, physical and metaphorical. Stay with me on this. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, never to die again. Uh, The core of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ died, he was buried, he physically rose from the dead, and the entire Christian faith is dependent on on trusting that that is true and building our lives around it. Because that means my sins are forgiven. That means that I, too, will be resurrected as Jesus was with a new body. Make sense? That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible says, the core gospel, the thing on which you stand, the basis of your entire faith is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Super important that we believe it. There's historical verification, by the way, Um, and so it's, it's um, historically, physically, archaeologically sound, and that's what we believe, not just an idea, the real reality. Now, behind that is God's promise that those who trust in the resurrection of Jesus will also be resurrected with new bodies to live in a new heaven and new earth. The Bible says there will be po- powerful, imperishable, spiritual bodies that we will live in the new heaven, new earth forever and ever. And by the way, as you get older, isn't that good to know? We're going to get new bodies. Now, also behind this text is talking about spiritual resurrection. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He's getting at the spiritual resurrection. Notice the next verse. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. When did that happen? When I was baptized, I would say I'm, I, my, my pledge was I'm repenting. And with God's help, I'm not going to be this sinful, self-centered person that I am by nature. I'm going to live for God, right? So I'm dying to me that Jesus would live in me, and uh, yet not I, but Christ would live in me. Paul says in Galatians um, 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So it's a spiritual resurrection, and he says, For we know that our old self was crucified so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Now, what this passage is saying is that we want to learn to live up to who we are. One of the best motivations I have ever had... In my own life or in the lives of other people, is when we say, That's not who you really are. That's not who you want to be. Isn't that true? Like, there's so many things in my life, and it's not who I want to be, even though I I tend to do it. That's not, I want to live up to who I am in Christ. So he goes on, and this is what he says that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Sin's not going to be the dominant thing in my life because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. When did I die? I died in my baptism. I died to me, and I gave my life to Jesus. You died to you. You may not have fully understood it, and that's okay, but the reality is when you were baptized, you said to God, I'm repenting and dying of living for me that I might live for you. In uh, April of this year, I was invited to speak to a seminary in Vienna, Austria, uh, it's uh, TCM, and they have uh, professors from 46 countries in the former Soviet Union, including Estonia, by the way. Noticed that the um, uh, cafe here, helping out people in Estonia. These are devout Christians. They lived under persecution. One of the professors, actually, this is a tangent. I better watch it. What time am I supposed to be done, by the way? No, 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 no. Don't say that's what you're supposed to say. But what time am I really supposed to be done? Okay, I'm going to tell you about the Estonian guy. Okay, because this is really critical, like the mindset behind them. So uh, uh, this guy, when he was uh, 18, was Estonia was part of the Soviet Union. So he was drafted into the Soviet Army. And they found out that he was a follower in Jesus, probably somewhere in his 20s he was an officer. And, and they didn't like it that he was a follower of Jesus. Because the true follower of Jesus will follow Jesus, not the country or the military, if they ever conflict. And so they held a gun up to his head and said, if you don't deny Christ, I'm going to shoot you right now. Like they meant that these were Russian officers. And he said, go ahead. I died to myself and my life to follow Jesus. And they laughed at him and walked away. In these countries, do you know how they describe becoming a Christian? We say so-and-so became a Christian. And that's true. But they don't say it that way. They say so-and-so repented. Because for them, conversion means dying to yourself to live for God. And so they describe it in language like what the Apostle Paul uses here. He goes on and says, by the way, so this is the story. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about a challenge we all face. We all face overcoming our sinful nature, and the key is going to be our connection with God and the people of God. But what we want to do, what he calls us to do, is to overcome sinful ways by being alive to God in Jesus Christ. Now stay with me on this. Here's what he says, again, talking about their background. He says, now, if we died with Christ… When did we die with Christ? in our baptism we died with him i'm dying that jesus would live we believe that we will also live with him now again it's a, it's a double entendre it's, we're going to live with him in eternity but we're going to live with him now we're going to walk with him every day for we know that since christ was raised from the dead he cannot die again death no longer has mastery over him he goes on the death he died he died to sin once and for all what do you mean jesus died to sin jesus didn't sin right He died for your sin, He died for my sin, and He paid the complete price once and for all time. So the death He died, He died to sin once and for all, but the life He lives, He lives for God in the same way. So as Jesus, now in in His life on earth, and definitely now in His resurrection, He totally lives for the will of His Father in heaven, He says this in verse 12, catch this, please. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So, the the description here is if I want to be a certain kind of person, I have to live a certain kind of way based on the fact that I died, that Jesus would live in me. So far, so good, everybody? Your story is mine. This is where we are going. Now, I want to give you the four keys that this text assumes but doesn't say but the rest of the New Testament pulled together does say it, okay? So it goes back to if we have this challenge that we must overcome sin, how do we overcome sin? Let me tell you what you don't want to do. And uh, there are many people here, If I, I know you would say it. We don't stop sinning by saying, I'm going to just stop sinning, right? How many people have things in your life where you say, I want to stop doing that. And the next thing you know, you've done it again. Raise your hand if you are amongst the human beings like the rest of us here. Because it is, our, it is the nature of human beings. By the way, this is why in particular sin struggles, you're not going to overcome your sin struggle by just saying, stop that. Right? By other people saying to you, stop that. Or are you saying to yourself, stop that. If you have a pornography problem, if you have an alcohol problem, If you have a gossip problem, if you have a greed problem, whatever the problem that you have that dominates you, you will not overcome it by just saying, stop it. Instead, you have to develop a lifestyle of dealing with the underlying drives to your sin behavior and learning to walk with God in it. That's why the 12 steps are so fantastic for people struggling not just with alcohol but all kinds of addictions because the 12 step which uh, program was developed by Christians and it's just simply spiritual habits that Christians throughout the centuries tapped into and walked in that we don't like we need to. I'll explain that in just a second. I want you to see, though, the goal is not to stop doing things, but instead it's to refocus our lives into the ways of God. If my life is so focused on the things of God, and if I'm walking with God and devoted to Him, that is the best thing that's going to help me not sin. It's not focusing on sin, it's focusing on God. That's why in Colossians chapter 3 it says, again, referring back to our moment of conversion, it says, since then you've been raised with Christ. When was I raised with Christ? In my baptism. I was spiritually raised up with Christ. goes back to chapter 2, verse 12. I was raised up with Christ. Since then, we, I just want to say we because it's us, since we've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Now, the word for heart, uh, "cardia" in Greek, is not what we mean when we say heart. When I say heart, it's like, you know, my, my heart just beats for my wife. Or my heart just ble- beats for my favorite hockey team. Okay? We're talking about emotions. But in the Bible, the heart was the center of your thought. That's why Jesus says where, where, your, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He means the focus of your life. So set the focus of your life Where? on the things of God, the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he uses a different word, set your mind, focus your mind uh, on things above, not on earthly things. Now you say, Bobby, why are you bringing all this up in terms of the uh, description of connecting with God? I, want, I just want to tell it to you straight. We have not, and uh, I was a part of this church for for 1978 till I moved 25 years ago in 1994. So uh, I'm, I'm part of what I'm about to talk about, okay? We have not taught disciples of Jesus enough how to walk with the Spirit of Jesus. And so our lives can tend to be anemic and not vibrant and full of life as the new creation. So let me describe really quickly how change happens, and I hope to encourage you to join with me and others in embracing the wholeness of this new life, okay? So I've spent a lot of time on this, and I'm happy to dialogue with any of you about this, but here's how people change. Let me first tell you how they don't change, okay? We we tend to think uh, if somebody's going to be a part of a church. We want to. This is how non-believers and legalistic Christians think. If you're a certain kind of person, so if you if you would be someone who's a genuine Christian, then you will behave like a genuine Christian. Then you will believe like a genuine Christian, and then you can belong in this church. Right? Okay? Actually. It happens the other way. Uh, You see this in the life of Jesus, and you see this in the New Testament. It begins with belong. You end up belonging and hanging out with other Christians. The best argument for Christianity is a genuine Christian. The best argument against Christianity is a fake Christian. But I'm assuming you're going to belong with genuine followers. And as you belong, you start to believe as they believe. And as you believe as they believe, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you start to behave as a genuine Christian would behave. And then you become a Christ-like person. So in the Bible, it's belong, believe the Word of God, behave, the promptings of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and as you behave over time, then all these changes in your mind and in your life, behaving, then you become the kind of person that you want to become. Does that make sense? Now, now let me. I'm going to get painfully uh, explicit here because I think we need it. I need it, and you need it. Okay, this why church is so important in the Bible. God's plan A is the local church. You cannot become the kind of person you want to become in isolation, okay? And it's so important why the, by belonging to the church, being a part of things, when the church teaches us what the Bible says we should believe, the teaching of the Bible is so vital and important. So again, it's belong, believe, behave, become. It's the people of God, Upholding the Word of God in the power of the Spirit of God as we follow Jesus that brings change. Make sense? Go like, go like this if it does, and this if it doesn't. I, I can handle it. Okay? So, here's what's uh, happening right now with a bunch of Christians uh, throughout North America who are realizing the way we've been doing it isn't going to keep working. Christianity is declining. Churches of Christ are declining. Christian churches are declining. Evangelical churches are declining. People are giving up on their beliefs. And those who are going to go against that trend have to go back and reclaim this new life described in the Bible, especially knowing the Word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit following the Word of God. I'm really going long here. Okay. But this is important. This is, this is worth it, okay? Uh, by the way, uh, extensive studies have been done. Uh, the REVEAL study coming out of Chicago, they, they surveyed half a million Christians. And then Lifeway Christian Resources. The biggest denomination in the United States is the Southern Baptist denomination. And they own Lifeway Christian Resources, okay? So they did the same study to the Willow Creek people in Chicago, you say, well, why are you telling us about these studies? Because I want you to know something that's been a, a demonstrated fact. The biggest correlation of your spiritual growth, I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me, is your daily engagement with the Word of God. Everything else is secondary to that. People who are in the Word of God every day will grow. Because what happens when we're in the Word of God is it convicts us about our beliefs, and then it leads us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to want to follow and obey. And so the dynamic then is, how do I engage more regularly in the Word of God and in seeking the guidance of the Spirit of God? And what a bunch of us are finding is we have to rediscover not only the power of regular devotionals, but the power of fasting and prayer. So in the church that I uh, lead, uh, we have really been leaning into this thing. I lead uh, two national organizations. One is called Discipleship.org, where we bring together the nation's leading disciple-making Writers and speakers and all that. Like some of you know Bill, uh, sorry, Jim Putman and Real Life Ministries and guys like that. Okay? The other one, and both of these are on your outline, is uh, Renew uh, Network. And they're there in case you want to get some of the resources. I send out a newsletter from Renew and Discipleship.org on this stuff every week. So I'm happy for you guys to follow along. We're trying to get Renew going in Canada as well. Here's what, what we're discovering, is that where God's really working, His people are in the Word of God, but they're also searching out for the leadership of the Spirit of God. Now, I think I have a video here that I can show you. Oh, let me tell you about this first real quick. This is the Ryman two, two Sunday nights ago in Nashville. The Ryman is where the, the uh, if you've heard of the Grand Old Opry country music and all that. This is where it got its birthplace. Before that, by the way, it was a gospel tabernacle for preaching. My friend Dave Clayton invited all the churches in Nashville to come together to fast and pray for people who don't know Jesus. He got 410 churches to commit. 30,000 people committed to fast and pray in various levels for 30 days for everybody in Nashville. Is that not incredible? So we published this book, Revival Starts Here. You can get it on Amazon.ca. Uh, a guy uh, whose father is church Christ minister in Nashville, Dave Clayton wrote it, and it describes this whole journey that a bunch of us are on. I want to encourage you all, especially your leaders here. By the way, that was just, I, you all is an American thing. You know one of the things that's most distressing to me is when my the people I went to high school with tell me that I have an American accent. I'm going, how'd that happen? <laughs> anyway, I want to I get you to watch this video clip of a lady who's a part of our team describing her journey uh, of pursuing the Holy Spirit through fasting and prayer.
2: When I first heard about fasting, I thought it was just for people that were really super spiritual. And I didn't realize it was just for everybody, that God called everybody to do it. And so once, two and a half years ago, when we were asked to do it, I thought, this is going to be next to impossible. I'm never going to be able to get through the day. But then I did. And what it did was it really drew me into God. It drew me into the idea that I'm human and I want and I need food um, and that I am not God. About a year into fasting, I realized that my heart really wasn't in the right place. I was acting as if my fasting was a gift to God, a sacrifice to Him, instead of a gift that He'd given to me. He wanted to draw me closer. He wanted to draw me into His presence. He wanted to relieve my burdens and He's told us through fasting and prayer, through petition to Him, that I could do those things. I could really focus on God and I could focus on where He wanted me to be, which was in submission to Him, which was in surrender to Him, which was in a place that that drew me as close to Him as possible. And I found that I could hand things over to Him in prayer and fasting that I could never do um, without fasting. Uh, Being able to sacrifice um, food was small um, compared to what God had sacrificed for us. And I realized that denying myself food was actually relying on God. And that he was the way um, that I needed to really look to to be able to to stay close to him and to stay um, present. John 15 5 says I am the vine you are the branches if a man remains in me and I in him he will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing. I fast to be able to hit a spiritual restart button it allows me to be in his will uh, and takes me out of the equation so that I can be really present um, for Him and for the things that He's calling me to do.
1: So let me uh, try to connect uh, this for you. What we're saying is that to really be the kind of person that you want to be, and for you to be the kind of church you want to be, it requires something that Christians have known throughout the centuries but have not emphasized in recent times, and that is that it takes a deep, intimate life with God in the Spirit characterized by time in the Word of God and a very high focus on fasting and prayer. You know, when when you read through the centuries and you look at the people that God used the most to do his purposes and kingdom will in this world. It was people who are characterized by fasting and prayer. The New Testament assumes that we know that. So when the New Testament talks about be led by the Spirit, be in step with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, the New Testament assumes that deep interconnection and life with God. Therefore, To have that kind of life, we're going to have to do what they did. And it goes on, and what Paul is saying, oh, I think I have that up, we consciously offer every part of our life to God. He describes it this way. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. That's how I become the kind of person that I want to become. It's, it's by pursuing God. It's saying, God, help me to see what you see. Help me to think the way you think. Help me to live the way you want me to live and lead me and guide me every step of the way. Really quickly. So as we've been pulling together these national uh, and international disciple-making movements, this was the big aha. There's a guy in Africa. His name's Shadonke Johnson, we invited him to speak at our national forum, and he came and he spoke. Because in the last 12 years, they have reached uh, their movement that has grown from three churches to 2,000 plus churches. They're a church movement now of 700 to 800,000 people. Catch this: 50, or, I'm sorry, 70 percent have left uh, Islam to become Christians. They have seen more, more Muslims become Christians in the last 14 years than in the previous 14 centuries. So we wanted to understand what's, what's happening and how are they doing that, and here's what we found. It's actually not a disciple-making movement. It's a prayer and fasting movement that reflects itself in disciple-making because they fast and pray and ask God to do what human beings cannot do, and that is the presupposition about us connecting with God, as it describes here. And then, not sin, but it's the gracious ways of God that lead us. As I I just want to wrap up, um, here's the, the reality of trying to become a certain kind of person. You have an aspiration, and I have an aspiration. You're dealing with the struggles we've talked about. We even have the power of the Holy Spirit But guess what happens? We fall down. (laughs) In fact, I love the description of the Christian life. We fall down, we get back up. We fall down, we get back up. We fall down, and we get back up. That's what Paul's getting at here in Romans 6.15. He says, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. I fall down, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I get back up. I fall down, I get back up. And you know what happens? The more you walk with God and you fall down and you get back up and you walk with God, and you, you start falling down less and you start falling down less. You start becoming more and more a Christ-like person, which is more a person who loves who loves God and loves people and all of a sudden you've moved from belonging to believing to behaving to becoming the new creation that God made you to be. And Paul finally describes it as we become obedient from the heart. Thanks be to God, he says, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Sound good? How many want to sign up for that? When I was done in the first service, <laughs> I knew I was out of time, so I said bye. <laughs> That's why I ended the service. So I liked instead of saying just bye, uh, can I lead us in a word of prayer? And then Jonathan and the team, if you'll come back. Would you all bow and pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for this uh, church family. Lord, this is the church family that initially nurtured me in my faith. Oh God, thank you that this is the church family where my mother and my father were baptized. My grandmother in a wheelchair was brought in to be baptized. Dear God, thank you that my daughter whom I love surrendered her life to Jesus in this baptistry and that so many who are here now, that we came to know you here. Dear God, would you please bless this church? Would you please bless the elders of this church? Would you please bless Kelly and Jonathan and... uh, Dustin, and all the leadership here, Lord, that this church, that this family would truly be a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. In Jesus' name, amen.